Now I'd like to introduce tonight's moderator, Val Zavala. Ms. Zavala has been the anchor of SoCal Connected since its debut on KCET in 2008. Val has been at KCET since 1987, serving as an anchor, reporter, and executive producer for the long-running series Life and Times, as well as for other news programs and specials. Over her career at KCET, she has won 14 LA Area Emmy Awards and eight Golden Mike Awards. She has covered major issues impacting Southern California politics, education, healthcare, the environment, demographics, arts, and cultures. Please give a very warm welcome to Ms. Val Zavala. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very, very happy to be here, and, uh, and I want to reserve plenty of time for you to ask your questions, so I hope that as you listen to the conversation, those questions will be, uh, will be percolating. I also want to thank Blueprint America, which is a public television project um, funded through the Rockefeller Foundation and Channel 13 in New York, and what that fund does is provide money for all sorts of uh, public television programs and reports and features to be done on transportation that appear on the news hour and now with uh, with Bill Moyers and so forth. So that, in effect, that part of that money is what is um, making this evening possible because part of that project is outreach. So now that I've gotten the thank cool. yous mm-hmm. on the way, I will introduce our panel and it's a superb panel beginning with Mr. Richard Katz. You know him probably well. As he said, he, he was in the assembly in the good old days. <laughs> he serves now on the governing board of the LA Metropolitan Transportation Authority. So if you have complaints for the buses, Thank you. blame it. Thank you. Uh, right Previously, Mr. Katz served for 16 years in the California State Assembly, including 10 years as chair of the Assembly Transportation Committee. He authored the successful Proposition 111, a transportation blueprint that raised more money for mass transit and highways than any other effort in California history. He is now owner of Richard Katz Consulting, a strategic advice and government relations firm. Welcome. Thank you. And Gloria Oland is a communications and policy specialist. For the past dozen years, she served as vice president for communications at Reconnecting America and the Center for Transit-Oriented Development, a, non, a national nonprofit organization funded by Congress to promote development around public transportation. She currently works with the Move LA Coalition and Climate Plan on transportation and environmental projects. She has published several books, including Street Smart, Streetcars, and Cities in the 21st Century, and she's a formal journalist. Thank you for being here. Adrian Moore is Vice President of Research at Reason Foundation, where he also directs the Galvin Project to End Congestion. Congestion. A member of the Transportation Research Board, Mr. Moore was appointed by Governor Schwarzenegger to California's Public Infrastructure Advisory Commission. He is co-author of the book Curb Rights, A Foundation for Free Enterprise in Urban Transit and Mobility First, A New Vision for Transportation in a Globally Competitive 21st Century. And prior to joining Reason, Moore served for 10 years in the Army on active duty and reserves. There's a brave soul for you. <laughs> Thank you all for being here. We're going to cover two basic areas tonight. We're going to cover a shorter, shorter discussion, maybe about 10 minutes, on the high-speed rail that you might have already heard about, you know, the 800 miles 
of, it's not really a bullet train, it's high-speed rail that would go from San Diego all the way up to San Francisco and also over to Sacramento. Spend a little bit of time on that, and then we'll bring it closer to home and talk about Measure R and what that money might go to. And if none of you, uh, maybe some of you have heard about this 3010 plan that the mayor has, we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, high-speed rail, I'm looking at this sign right over here, what were they thinking, <laughs> is what a lot of people are thinking when they hear about a high-speed rail project that would cost, am I in the right uh, ballpark, $42 billion. Give or take. And, and then an audit just came out saying that the people who are trying to move this forward are not doing a very good job of planning and already have all sorts of problems. So I'm thinking, oh my God, it hasn't even broken ground and we're already looking at, uh, it's wondering about its feasibility. Think it'll actually happen? Well, well, let me say first, thank you for, for moderating this and thank all of you. I can see as far as Joel over here, so I assume there are people <laughs> behind the third row. It's just with the lights, it's hard to tell. But thank you all for coming out uh, to talk about transportation. For those of us that do this a lot and, and work in transportation, it's always good to see more and more people involved in asking questions. So thank you for being here. Uh, I sit on the High-Speed Rail Authority. Uh, it's a good time to say I've been there about seven months uh, in light of the audit. But um, the one thing I will say about the audit, and, and there's a lot in the audit that's accurate, but it was accurate a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, when the, and that's when the audit was conducted. What's happened since then is that high-speed rail has gone through, the, the authority's gone through a transformation. You know, for many years, this was a project that no one thought would get off the ground or get funded. And then in November of 08, the voters in California passed a $9 billion bond measure to help support the rail, which calls for a 50% match from local governments. The president put $8 billion, later increased to $10.5 billion into the federal budget for distribution for high-speed rail, and all of a sudden, a lot more interest developed. Because there was some real money. There's serious dollars. And, you know, when you talk about $40 billion, you know, we anticipate that we'll get 20 of that roughly from local government sources and federal government sources and the bond measure in California. But the other 20 is going to come from private investors as part of putting this whole package together. The, the one point on the audit I will make, and I think that they, they raised a lot of serious questions that were legitimate questions, which are, some of which have been answered, uh, some of which we're in the process of answering. We went from an organization that was designed to keep the issue before the public until the public voted for it. Because you gotta remember the measure was postponed three times before it was actually voted on by the public. Their job was to keep it alive. Once that happened, you now have to change the organization to a group that knows how to build a $40 billion Mm choo-choo, which is a much different task than keeping it alive. We will announce on Thursday at the meeting in Sacramento a new CEO, international reputation for for building big projects and knowing how to get them done. KPMG did a management study that recommended a new structure. We're in the process of implementing that. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of the points that were raised are legitimate, but they are being addressed. And we have to do a better job. I'm not comfortable with our oversight of tax dollars. We haven't done as good a job as we should have done on public Mm -hmm. outreach. And we're trying to fix all those things and move forward to meet the R funding deadlines. Adrian, your thoughts on high-speed rail? Well, I think... think High-speed rail is a, is a fabulous technology. I think the plan to build one in California is, is a tissue of wishes. Um, <laughs> tissue the, of wishes? Yeah. i got to remember that. I like that. That's good. <laughs> tissue the, of uh, uh, You know, I mean, the problems run, run much, much deeper than, than, the, uh, than the audit uh, discussed. The, the, the fundamental challenge is that uh, we have a, a plan f- to build this, this rail system that essentially requires... An, an extreme 
level of success. It's going to have to be the fastest ever, the most efficient ever, and have the highest ridership ever of any high-speed train in the world. Far more than China, far well, in, more in than order France. To meet financial in order projections? to meet the goals that the, the, the plan has set. Um, and I think if you've watched how projects go in California, the idea that a California project would be three superlatives is, seems a little far-fetched. Well, it doesn't have um, to be the fastest, though, does it? Uh, well, yeah, there's no... Yeah. The, the, the speed that the train has to run in order to meet the, the time goals, given that it can't go 200 miles an hour from here to Pasadena. It's got to be in the Central Valley. It has to go extremely fast, faster than any current trains operate. Uh, so it's going to have to be the new fastest train out there. Um, and, and this is just, it's not realistic. I mean, we've got a huge gap between San Francisco and L.A. Uh, not that many people go between San Francisco and L.A. You're not going to see the kind of ridership that this plan calls for. And the funding is, is, is crazy. The idea that it's a $40 billion project and we've got $11.2 so far, that's enough money to keep the staff at the High Speed Rail Authority working for a long time. So they're ecstatic. In terms of building a $40 billion project, well, we need $19 billion more from the federal government. Uh, we had a hard time getting $2 billion. That's going to be a little hard to get. 5 or $6 billion from local government. I don't know. Has anybody noticed that LA's broke? <laughs> and are they going to have, have hundreds of millions? No, actually, LA and San Francisco would have to come up with a couple billion each. And then the little cities in the Central Valley would have to scrape up a few hundred million, which they're never going to have. I mean, there's just, and I could go on and on. There's a okay, lot well, of know, tissue here. Yeah, Richard is chomping the bit, but I do want to let Adrian uh, voice her opinion on high-speed rail. I'm Gloria. sorry, Glo excuse me, Adrian. Gloria, um, give us your thoughts, um, because is, is it really needed? Here's my basic concern, is I think that we need to be, we can't, continue to be dependent on Middle Eastern oil. I just think that the political situation in the Middle East is such that, you know, where the sacrifices that we make are far too great in terms of propping up governments and... And, and this would be an electric chain, we should say. It should be, right. it'll be electric powered. Right. It will be, yes. And I mean, I think it's interesting. It seems like other countries recognize that and we need to stay competitive. I mean, it was interesting to me that this month in Vanity Fair, the editor, Graydon Carter, did his whole sort of opening letter to readers about how China, you know, while we were busy building or uh, bailing out Wall Street, China was building, China has been building 46 high-speed rail lines. I mean, we can't even get it together to build one high-speed rail line in China, mean, meanwhile, is sort of forging ahead. Well, China's very interested in bringing their technology over here and helping us do it. They are very active in, in offering themselves and their technology as... as bottom line, I just think we need a more sustainable um, transportation system, and I right. think high-speed rail is a very important component. Richard, I know you wanted to respond to some of the no, questions. I, I was just surprised, because um, we've known each other a while, and, and, and some things we agree on, some things we just... Your lack of faith, though, in the private sector is just astounding to me, uh, for, a, for a Reason Foundation yeah. guy, you know? It's just, I don't get that, but... Um, you know, but oh. Uh, the, the, um, you know, first... The, the train is going to be built in segments. One of the things that we've done is broke it into segments. 
the, by the way, the staff, there's a nine-person staff at the High Speed Rail Commission, so um, there'll be a little money left over for the train <laughs> after the nine of them get paid. Uh, the, uh, we have to do a better job. There's no question about the last meeting. I put back on the table, for instance, in the discussion of L.A. to Anaheim, the shared track concept rather than building a whole new elevated structure for four tracks on it going from L.A. to Anaheim. You're not going 200 miles an hour from L.A. to Anaheim. Frankly, you'd go 70 or 80, and everyone will think they died and went to heaven, because if you've been on the five, you know, 70 is a huge improvement. But to do so, we're going to lower it, go back to the existing track. We're going to grade separate all that track between LA and Anaheim that Metrolink currently runs on. It is not grade separated, which is a great improvement for the communities and a great community benefit. And that shaves $2 billion off the cost of the train between LA and Anaheim. So I think there's a lot of legitimate criticism, and I think the jury's still out, but I'm pretty confident that we're going to fix this section from L.A. to Anaheim and then move to the other sections from there. But, you know, there's a lot that needs to be done, and there are a lot of legitimate questions that need to be answered. Well, what I've seen so far, and this could change, is that it would transport somebody between Anaheim and L.A., sorry, between um, L.A. and San Francisco um, in about two and a half hours. It would cost, at this point at least, about $105 a round trip, which isn't bad, and that the estimate is that about 120,000 passengers daily would do this. You don't think that, that, will, that there, there'll be that many passengers? Where, where does your skepticism come? When you think of those it, it comes stats? from, we've got a lot of high-speed rail in the world right now. We know roughly how people use it, and we know how Americans differ from the Chinese. I mean, in Europe and in Asia, Inner city travel has always been by rail. They don't have, they have a tenth the car ownership we have. It's, a, it's fractional. And yet those train systems are losing market share. In Europe, people, more, the growth in driving between cities is much, much higher than the growth. In fact, the high-speed rail system's losing market share there in Europe where it's somewhat worked over the years. In the U.S., we don't ride the trains. We travel by cheap, cheap air travel and we drive. And so the train has to be a fantastically better deal to get people to ride it. And it isn't a fantastically better deal. Yeah, that's deal. what I thought. Two and a half hours, 105. Well, Southwest is whatever, 130, two and a half hours, pretty close to what I could fly up to Oakland for. So why would I want to jump on this train? Well, I think you'll find, I'm sorry, oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, I just think two and a half hours, if you look at how much time it takes to Call up Super Shuttle, get Super Shuttle to come. You get well, to the airport, you wait in the airport for hours, you wait in lines, <laughs> you get to security, you wait to, for the plane to come to the door, and then you sit in those tiny little seats with your legs <laughs> up like this. I mean, I think. Don't forget the pretzels. <laughs> and, the pretzels, and those Peanut. fabulous pretzels, it's true. <laughs> but so I just think that people would be willing to. I personally, I mean, like, I love riding Amtrak, which is not very easy to do because there isn't that much service, but I just think that for a higher quality ride and a higher quality travel experience, two and a half hours might, you know, it's probably comparable, too, if you consider how difficult it is to get to the airport and to get from the airport. Adrian's shaking his head. Well, you look at our own history. We had inner city train travel before the car became ubiquitous. I'm talking pre-World War II. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, as cars became available before World War II, through the Great Depression, after World War II, people... It, a car, remember the, what those cars were like uh, until, you know, until they really, really got nice in the 50s. I mean, this is not a better ride than the train. The train was much faster, and the train was vastly cheaper. It cost four or five times as much to drive 
as it did to ride the train. The train was faster, and it was much more comfortable, and yet people left the trains. In 20 years, there was no one riding the trains anymore. It was done. They all went to cars because even in spite of all of that, it was a vastly superior travel experience. And so the idea that this train is going to get everybody right, sure, people will ride it, but nowhere near the numbers you need to make it viable in this very undense corridor of up and down the state of California. Okay. It's just not going to work. Any final thoughts before we switch to something more local? Well, well, just as I think, as, as Gloria said, I think, one, we need to do as much as we can to end our dependence on foreign oil. That's just, I mean, that's a national security issue and, frankly, ought to be viewed as a greater national security issue than it is. It's not just a transportation issue. So I think that's part of the motivation. I also think people are looking for alternatives. You know, you look at the growth projected in California, and the roads that are congested today are going to be much more congested in the future. People will look to alternatives. We intend to provide an alternative, but we have to do it in a way that makes sense. We have to do it in a way that's cost-effective, and we have to do it in a manner that is, you know, that is appealing to the public or they won't use it. So that's the task and the challenge before the commission. Gloria, any thoughts? Just also, I mean, I think it's important that there is a redundancy in transportation mm -hmm. systems. Yes. That sounds like a bad word, but if you look at what happened with Hurricane Katrina or you look at what happened after 9-11 when people were desperately trying to get out of the cities and there was no way to get out, it would be, I, I think it's important also for national security reasons to have, you know, not one, just one mode of transportation, but two modes of transportation. Great. There's a lot more we could talk about, and if you have any questions on high-speed rail, we can certainly get them. But we're going to switch topics just a bit. We're going to take a look at L.A. County, and um, uh, I think it's been described as the, the 12 projects that are planned, transportation projects planned at this point, would be, I think it's the largest public transportation plan active in the country right now, made possible very much by Measure R, which was a half-cent sales tax passed last year that would produce over 30 years $40 billion, billion for public transportation, a variety of projects, not just rail. And, uh, but it really gave uh, some oomph to the projects, and it was, uh, I think it helped bring on um, federal stimulus money. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No. This, is the this is an important uh, deal. I don't know how many people understand this 30-10 deal. Have you been reading about it? Does anyone not understand what that is? Because it's a very... Okay, 30... Thirty ten. Yeah, you're the yeah. best to describe it. It was actually a very smart financial deal that will make something that was supposed to take 30 years happen will happen in right. 10. The Measure R, which our county passed with 68% of the vote uh, in, 19, in 08, in the middle of a re huge recession, where our voters, all of you and around the county said, we need a better solution here. We need regional solutions to transportation problems, and we need them now, and we're willing to invest in it. And it's a combination. It's roads, but it's also significant mass transit. And 3010, the mayor who was the primary force behind um, Measure Arts, Pam O'Connor in Santa Monica, and then Zavirislavsky, supervisor, joined, but the mayor was the primary force in pushing it, is sort of an impatient guy. And... Um, uh, I'm usually impatient. He makes me look like I stand still sometimes. Um, after it passed, we started talking about delivering all the projects in, th in Measure R and the 30-year lifespan of Measure R. And it was a discussion that, you know, he sort of got to the point very quickly, we can't fix L.A. one project at a time. Mm -hmm. Let's see what we can do faster. And my only fear is that if we actually get 3010 funded, and properly and, and put together, he's going on to do it in five instead of ten. Well, first but, explain what it is. But, <laughs> but <laughs> what it is, there's 12 mass transit projects that were identified in Measure R, and they're numbered and there's a list. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's things like Expo, 
phase two, uh, the gold line extension in the east side, uh, the east side extension as well, the Carpool subway lane, to the sea. Is it uh, no, this no. is um, this is That's carpool right. lane on the 405 is under construction now. Okay. Uh, the um, and there's a there's a route from Van Nuys to uh, Westwood that would probably be either underground or light rail right. to run parallel to the 405. But a bunch of projects. The subway, you know, all those kinds of things. Downtown connector. Anyhow, the thought is that by building them in 10 years instead of 30, first of all, the impact on health in LA is significant. It's particularly dramatic for young kids who are subject to asthma and other problems who live near freeways because we take all the particulates out of the air and all this garbage out of the air in 10 years instead of 30. Mm -hmm. Second piece, it puts 200,000 people to work within the next 10 years, new jobs, construction jobs in LA. It's its own economic stimulus plan. You spend two or three billion dollars a year in LA County for four or five years in a row, and not only is LA out of the recession, but frankly, most of California is out of the recession. The beauty of the plan, though, is by moving them forward, these, are, these projects, if you built them over 30 years, would cost $18.5 billion to do it. If you build them in 10 years, the cost of the saved money and build it by moving it up is $4.5 billion by itself. So you build them for roughly $13.5 billion. Right. But the reason that you were able to, and this is, the, I think, the very smart financial aspect of this, was that the way, instead of L.A. going it on their own, Viragosa basically said, let's join with the MTA. All their projects serve not just Los Angeles, but not just 4 million people, but 9 million people throughout the county. And let's, let the, let's have the government give the MTA a big loan that would fund all these projects, make them happen in 10 years, and we'll use the revenues from Measure R to pay back that loan over time. So that way we get the money up front, speed up the projects through the MTA with government help, and the Measure R, instead of just funding of projects you know, in L.A., goes, ba goes basically back to pay, pay back the loan that the government lent us to make the project get built faster. So that's why it's called 3010. So with that in mind, and I, I believe, I'm not sure where it stands, is it, it's everyone loves the idea, Congress loves the idea, but is it actually, is this 3010 financial deal going to happen? Well, right now we're in the process of negotiating with Washington. It was approved unanimously by the MTA board uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we're back in Washington. He's back, the mayor's back next week, and we're, we're, uh, Senator Boxer has made this a cause to get this funded. So we're in the process of negotiating with the federal government what it would look like, what the funding package, whether we use the Buy America bonds or other bonds. We're in the process of negotiating with that with them now, and we hope to have that resolved within the next 60 days. The, you know, the other thing we intend to do, by the way, one thing along the same line you're talking, because you build one project at a time, you never really are able to go to you know, the Costco of mm -hmm. uh, construction for a rail system because you only build one at a time. If you're building three or four at a time, we can go to a steel plant in America that's on the bubble right now and say, look, here's what we need for the next five years for a good price. We'll keep you open gotcha. and give you the money. We Makes can buy sense. aggregate. We can buy in bulk. The more you buy, the cheaper you use. More the savings, cost. more tax dollars, better spread, better use form. So, Adrian, are you excited about this? I think all of the things being equal, it is, it's a good way to get you know, projects built. It, it's obviously a pretty good deal for LA. I think selling Congress on it, it's, it's po perfectly possible, though it's not as obviously a good deal. I mean, why should essentially the rest of the nation subsidize you know, by making this loan uh, projects that are, you know, nobody in Nebraska is going to benefit from this project. Well, right? nobody in Nebraska is going to be interested enough in following it. So, well, yeah, know yeah, it's yeah, so but actually, so we Andrew, know how that so, works. Let me just say one thing. Actually, you're, 
may not be Nebraska, because God knows what happens in Nebraska, but, you know, 40% of the goods that come into the port of L.A. right now go to the rest of the country. Yeah, but these projects and aren't going to help goods movement. They, they uh, will help goods movement by improving the goods movement quarters. No, okay, well, okay. no, I'm not buying well, that. Okay, okay, go ahead and continue. Any other concerns? <laughs> Sorry, I think yeah. the, my only, I guess, I, I, in some ways I think this is sucking all the air out of the room for what ought to be the bigger discussion, which is... Are these really, you know, is this really the best thing to do for the future of transportation in Los Angeles? And uh, my fundamental, and this is like, you know, the one sentence version of my problem with where our current plan is in Los Angeles is, our current plan is to spend 50, more than 50% of all money spent on transportation in the county uh, to, uh, on the system, the, 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 essentially the public transit system, that carries a couple percent of all travel. I mean, there is no, you can't, if you take those numbers, you apply them to anything else, food, water, electricity, it's unsustainable. You can't spend 50% of the money on 2% of the people or the 98% of the people, the system that carries them crashes. The reason why the roads are in such a disaster is not because we don't have enough transit. It's because we don't have a road system that works. Uh, We are not making the adequate investments. And I'm not saying we should be spending 2% on transit, but... Some, something more realistic. You cannot let the system that carries 90% of all travel get short-funded by that much decade after decade and expect to have mobility in L.A. You just won't. We're, the system's going to collapse, and the, lone, the only people that will be able to move will be the ones on the train. Well, a lot of system. people say, if, you, you know, if we go on the way we're going, congestion's going to get so bad that people will be forced onto public transit. But, G- Gloria, what's your thought on, on all this money? And- I mean, I think Los Angeles has to come into the 21st century. Again, national security concerns, oil dependence. But, I mean, it's interesting, too. I mean, the automobile... You know, these have been the glory years for us in many ways. I mean, I feel like it was petroleum and the auto industry that built this country, you know. So I I can't deny the importance of the automobile, but it's time to change because it just doesn't work with oil anymore. I mean, the whole situation with the oil spill, situation in the Middle East. Moreover, I mean, I think it's interesting about the automobile. Back in the day when streetcars were ubiquitous across the land and when Southern California had the biggest streetcar system in the country, transportation costs amounted to about 3% of the household budget. But now, because the cost has been shifted onto the individual, you know, it, and we've been willing to pay this price for mobility and for our freedom, but in fact, we're now paying an average of, um, I think, 20%. I think the average percent... Average, like family? On or average, family? households spend 19% of the household wow. budget yeah. on transportation, which is the second highest cost after housing. And it's very interesting. If you look nationally, households spend an average of 40% of the household budget on housing costs plus transportation costs. In Los Angeles, um, households spend spend uh, 54% of their household budgets on transportation and housing. Plus housing. But in neighborhoods that are transit-oriented, like downtown or like Koreatown or like Hollywood or like Boyle Heights, um, costs are significantly lower than that. For example, in Koreatown, which has three subway stops, two rapid bus lines, lots of high-frequency bus, housing and transportation costs on average, and this is from a study that we did last year, um, are at 31% of household income. So for reasons of affordability, um, I think it's very important to think about going back to public transportation. Then secondly, I mean, we have this big 
we have to deal with climate change and global warming. I mean, it's very important. And in fact, I mean, we really have to deal with it because of SB 375, which is the legislation that mandates that we reduce greenhouse gas emissions to 1990 levels by 2020. So we have to figure out how we're going to do that. And I think we have to reduce driving by 60% or something. I mean, something outrageous that I don't know how we're going to do. So for one other point, sure. so for reasons mm -hmm. of sustainability, I think it's very important that we stop burning so much fossil fuel. And then the third reason that I think that Measure R makes this a most exciting time in Los Angeles is for reasons of public health. I mean, it's interesting, there was a study recently that people who ride public transit, I think, I think it was 87% of all transit riders get the Surgeon General's recommended amount of daily activity, which is, I think, 30 minutes a day, just walking to and from stations. And I think, you know, I think it's very critical that in this country we start becoming more physically active again. And it's very hard, I don't know about you, but it's very hard for me to get motivated to go and work out in the gym. But if you have to, you know, make exercise a part of your <laughs> daily routine, just getting to and from the train, for example... Anyway. Well, I don't know if that's why I want to. If that, I don't know if that's why I'm paying a half a cent more in sales taxes to, to, to keep you know five pounds off my neighbor. But um, how, I'm just always curious. How many people here have used public transportation at least once in the last week? Wow, that's good. how that's very good. How many people took transportation to come here? Oh. Very good. All right, now Richard, I know you've been dying to. Sorry, actually, I actually don't. Okay. In the last week, in the last, in week, last week, I drove yeah. 120 miles. So. <laughs> I have to say, I've, I've ridden the, I've ridden the, light rail or gold line one time, because I'm just, you know, it's seven miles between where I live and where I work, and there's no convenient way for a bus. And I don't, I never have to take the freeway, so it's not a congestion but, problem but, for me. But you know what? I think that's why also it's so important. I mean, I just went out to the desert this weekend. I went out to visit a friend in Joshua Tree. And I, you know, I mean, we cannot serve this sprawling landscape with public transportation. It's virtually impossible. We have to right. sort of rebuild the city in order to make public transportation work here. I mean, yes, I took, I live in Mount Washington, which is just north of downtown, and I took the gold line and the subway to a yoga class the other night, and I think I was gone five hours, you know, <laughs> getting there and back. But, you know, it's like when I drove out to Joshua Tree, I swear, it was solid development from here to mm -hmm. Joshua Tree. It was, you know, we cannot, we have to change our land use patterns because that is not sustainable. It's not pretty <laughs> and it's not any fun either. So I think but, that- But how do, you, how do you expect that to happen? Um, well, it, I mean, in Europe where gas prices are around three times what they are here, the trend is exactly what's happening in America. People are moving out driving more, transit is losing market share, in spite of all the advantages a European city has. They're built for public transit and they still can't keep people on public transit because the freedom and the mobility you get from the automobile is just too much better. For the last 30 years in LA, we've spent vastly proportionally more on public transit, 25 to 50% of all spending on transit. and transit has lost market share in Los Angeles. What are you going to do? You would have to spend 100% on transit, completely shut down the roads, and simply not allow people to drive if you want to force those changes. And that's what it comes down to. I don't think we're ready for that. Richard. I think you've got to make transit actually compete 
which means a radically different model from what we're doing oh. now to have any chance. Well, if you were going to do that, you'd also start, have to start charging the automobile the, fur, the true cost true of cost transportation, right. which we don't do today at all. Right. I mean, you they know, pay a lot higher percentage than transit users but do. But they don't pay 100%. And <laughs> no, they're not they even pay close, about 95%. You know, um, so, ni- and, so neither group pays <laughs> the true cost of, the, of its, of what, of its no. service, correct? Okay. No, but there's a couple of things that, that we should point out. First, let me ask a question. How many of you were not born in Los Angeles? Not born in L.A. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> so, okay, I do that for two questions. One, so th- you were born here, right? You were born? No. No. Nero, who was? <laughs> no. Any of you guys? Well, whoever besides me was so born here. I shouldn't here, be so surprised. You know, for the four of us that were born here, we now, <laughs> we now know who's causing all the congestion <laughs> on the roads, right? So, number one. But also, you know, you all came here for a reason. And people are going to continue to come here because in January, you drive with the top down on the car or you go to the beach or the weather's perfect. You know, for whatever reason, we have to acknowledge that's going to continue. We cannot triple-deck freeways. We cannot double-deck freeways. I mean, technically we can, but from an air quality standpoint, you can't. And you need a solution, other solutions. Now, there's a fallacy that we all have to get over, which is there is no silver bullet solution to this. You know, everybody wants the solution. I want the solution that Joel takes to get out of my way on the freeway. You know, the solution that somebody else uses to make my life easier. It's not going to happen. A solution is going to be multimodal, and some people will continue to drive the 120 miles or wherever (laughs) it might be today, because that's just how spread out they are. Other people are going to choose the orange line in the valley where everyone said would never work. We projected 5,000 riders on the day it opened, and it opened with 11,000. It hit 22,000 boardings a day. This is bus rapid transit across the San Fernando Valley. It hit 22,000 boardings a day 15 years earlier than projection. So there is a need. So it's going to be carpooling for some people, light rail, subway, the combination, but you have to have alternatives. The beauty of 3010 is that it not only builds 12 projects, and it's 12 mass transit projects, which are, by the way, as I said earlier, I think it's 18% of the $40 billion. It's $18 billion, rather, out of the $40 billion in Measure R. The rest is all highway improvements and other improvements, not mass transit. But the beauty of it is when it's complete, you will drop a system on the county of L.A. Part of the reason it doesn't work well today is it's not a system. It's pieces of a system. It's like a carpool lane that only goes part way. When they open the, the rest of the carpool lane on the 405 between um, you know, uh, Santa Monica Freeway and past the airport, that whole thing flows much better now because it's complete. Right. That's, what, that's what, me- what 3010 does is it drops literally a complete system to augment the system that's here that will make it easier for people to get around. It's not the total solution. And Roads of course, will that, be part. That's assuming it will happen in 10 years. As we know, things okay, well, if, take you know, a little it, bit longer. If it, if it takes 12 years instead of 10, I can live with that. Um, you know, we're doing something that's never been done before. And I believe you know, that the same country that put men on the moon has the ability to figure out how to build 12 projects in 10 years. My answer is that not enough of them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's a different subject yes, a different yeah. okay. but, uh, but I, do wanna, I wanna open it up now to um, uh, questions from our audience Hi, uh, my name is oh, Larry yes. Kaplan mm-hmm. Hi, Richard Alan? Um, Larry. I owe I you a, a phone question. call by the way Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I have a question for you actually um, <laughs> why can't the MTA go into the bond market to make 3010 happen why do you have to get a loan from the feds because in order for 3010 to work you know, we have, we have the, the $18 billion over the 30-year period. To construct it in 10 years, we need to front load roughly $9 billion of those construction dollars in order to put them in the marketplace to construct early and to get those jobs done. So it's a cash flow problem more than anything else. We believe that if we go to the market today, 
projects, all the projects we're seeing at LAX and other places are coming in anywhere from 15 to 25 percent below engineer's estimate. We can save significant dollars. We need the federal government help to be able to, through the Buy America bond, with the interest write down, and that's the key, the interest write down is what enables us to build all 12 projects. We could do eight or nine projects if we went to the market ourselves, but the interest rate would eat up the cost of the other three or four. The mm -hmm. federal government already has project programs like this. This is just a larger scale than they've been done before. Hi, I'm Norbert Chen, and I have a question for everyone. Uh, it has to do with the cost of this program. Uh, I just came back from Taiwan where they, they built uh, a high-speed railway uh, three years ago at a, at a cost of uh, $18 billion for 200 miles. I mean, at that rate, uh, comparable to that, I mean, 800 miles would be equivalent to $72 billion. So, I mean, even your $42 billion seems to be kind of, you know, uh, uh, like underestimation. Uh, do you have any um, thoughts about what would happen if there's a, there's a budget overrun, you know, mm -hmm. along those lines? Mm -hmm. Then it's high-speed rail from here to San Luis Obispo. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, it's part of it's one reason to build it in segments. It's also a reason that, you know, that the reason we're we're looking to partner with the private sector on some sort of joint venture. And we've been approached. I met with uh, a delegation from Korea yesterday when we were rolling out our new crash energy management cars at Metrolink. And they are not only in their, they're, they're launching their second generation high-speed rail in Korea, they've designed their third generation and are planning their fourth generation, which will have speeds of 350 kilometers an hour. So they, there is a worldwide interest in doing this and doing it with new technology. We will do a public-private partnership to build this, and in that public-private partnership will be incentives, much like you saw on the 10 freeway in Santa Monica, after, on, on the Santa Monica freeway after the Northridge earthquake. Incentives uh, that, to the private sector to deliver quicker and penalties if you deliver late. So we're looking to build in those kinds of incentives into the project and work with the private sector so we get maximum benefit for the dollar. Sounds like you're saying... <laughs> Sounds like you're confident that you're not going to go up over budget. Okay. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't give Adrian that opening. I mean, that is the right thing to do, and we all uh, know it's an estimate. I mean, right. it's, it's right. going to move some sure, from the of course. $40 right. billion. I mean, our, 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 we did an estimate a year and a half ago where we estimated the costs and the riderships and all that. We did our own independent yeah. estimates of all the data, and we figured... More like eighty-two billion, wow. but I think that might that could be too pessimistic. Okay. But it's certainly four billion is too optimistic. The reality is probably somewhere in the, in the 60, middle. It then. could, you know, we, it, we don't know. It, right. it, estimating this project, we all know it's, it's at hard. this point still kind of a but, scientific you know, the important guess. Part, if we were to build it, if we could build it today, I mean, today construction bids are coming in, you know, fifteen right. to twenty-five percent low on everything because of the economy. I mean, that's one reason we're right. pushing thirty ten so hard. We want to get in. We want to be the cause of the recovery. We don't want to come in afterwards when prices are back up to normal. Hi, my name is Max Burson. Uh, this is mainly for Mr. Moore. Um, you said that uh, we need to make the road system work better for private autos and not just make transit more attractive. Um, can I get you to elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, my, my, po my main point was that the, the road system carries more than 90% of all travel in LA. And Transit, we have not succeeded in 30 years of heavily proportionally over-investing in transit in, in getting less people to drive and more people to ride transit. So, you know, how do you transform that? And realistically, if you think, how is the transportation system going to work 20 or 30 years from now? If we tripled transit, that would be unprecedented in the history of the United States. 
and that would still be 7 or 8%. So we'd still have more than 80% riding on roads. The road system better be able to carry that much traffic or the system's not going to work. Uh, so we have to think radically about how to improve the automobility uh, Adrian, I've of heard, I've heard that the there's, city. O- there's only one thing that consistently works when it comes to reducing or changing tr- car traffic, and that is congestion pricing. Basically, yeah, that, that's, I, I, that I don't disagree. Be, that I mean, I, I don't want to you know, the subject, but it, Richard, Richard said, I can't believe I don't believe in the private sector. <laughs> no. But no, I, I think all systems should be. Just, you should pay the full price right. of if travel, you, if you drop, if you and all the roads should be priced. Hour, you pay more. We are trying congestion would, pricing experiment, yeah. by yes. the way, on the one ten, which a Reason two, Foundation two, has talked two about. Of them, two yeah. parts yeah. of that there. Congestion pricing is part, but it's hard to do in a sprawled area like L.A. You can't do it the way London did. But the one thing I would say that to Adrian's point. For those, for those of us who remember, or old enough to remember the Olympics in Los Angeles, which most people agree was like the last time traffic was good. Um, <laughs> there's two times traffic is good in L.A., the Olympics and Jewish holidays. <laughs> so, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm all for more Jewish holidays. But, um, the, but during the Olympics, and this is the important part, and it goes to what Adrian was talking about. The reduction of vehicles on our roads wasn't 30%. It wasn't 20%. It was 5%. Think about it, 5%, and for those of us who were here then, everything worked smoothly. It was amazing. So we don't need, you know, we don't need to get 20% of the was cars it, off the road. Was it like road. that tipping point thing? Well, it's exactly or a little like bit makes a big difference. You're, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. operating full-time next to that red line. That's very interesting. You know, and if you can take 5% off and keep 5%, you know, as LA grows, if we can take 5 to 10% off during that growth period and put them on mass transit, mass transit will work and our roads will work better, and the air pollution will be less. I mean, that's part of the goal. We don't expect to get 20 or 30% of the people right. out of their cars. It's just not going to happen. It's not our and, culture. And I absolutely agree okay. with that. Okay. I just, I okay. just question whether you can okay. The voice have of reason that. would like yeah. to talk. All right. <laughs> whether you can have Gloria. that with the spending Gloria. Gloria. we do. But you guys, I mean, how... Okay, so congestion, right? It's a big problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, how do we deal with the really big issues? I mean, if we improve roads so that there's no congestion... Still, I mean, how do we deal with the national security issue? How do we deal with this problem of the Middle East? How do we deal with the effect on the You're environment? You're talking d- dependency on oil? Yeah, I mean, this auto system has worked great for a long time, but sprawl, I mean, sprawl is a right. really big problem. Right. What happened to the desert tortoises? The Joshua trees are dying. What about greenhouse gas emissions? I mean, Congestion, yeah, it's a problem, but there, I feel like there are really big problems out there, and improving the road system... Well, now, if, on the other hand, if we keep continuing to move toward hybrid, that helps as well, but or, it does or electric cars, because we're using less yeah. But oil. it doesn't help with sprawl, I mean, no, it and help with it's sprawl. still, you know, this issue of the fact that we're covering how much of the, you know, all of our public... I, th- I forget what percentage of public space is paved over for roads, but I think I think the only publicly owned oh, it's a huge percentage of publicly owned real estate is roads. I mean, we right. don't have parks, we don't have public squares, we don't have promenades. We just you know all of our and you haven't even added in parking lots. Which less is than less amazing. than five percent of the yeah. surface of the United States is built up. So that there's, you know, there's nowhere near the majority of, I mean, one national well. park is bigger than any one national park is. Less than 5% of yeah, the square yeah, miles going, of the United States like is built says, up. You know, it's all location, location, location. The 5% right. almost yeah. feels like it's in one place. It's right. just because yeah. you live in the middle of a big city that you think that. I live in the mountains in a tiny little town where I have to drive 50 miles to get to a Walmart. You do? Where's it's that? not we'll see. Uh, Tehachapi. Uh, oh, <laughs> I have wow. a farm. I mean... 
and I, my office is in LA. I just work at home most of the time. I mean, you know, you're not <laughs> stuck with this. Uh, you're not, it, 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 people do have choices. And the way, to ant, the way to address those problems is directly. Why we have this idea that we have to, to solve global warming, we can't tackle global warming emissions. We have to change the way people live and hope that through a third order effect, it reduces mm, emissions. Right. No, the way you cut emissions and the way you reduce oil use is to change the technology that emits, change the technology that burns oil. Hmm. That's how you make changes. Third order indirect effects are a very inefficient, blunt instrument that Great. won't work. Hi there, my name's Dave. Um, I'm kind of gonna harken back to Norbert's question here a little bit and go back to funding, mostly for the high-speed rail. Um, you talked a lot about the public, or the, sorry, the private aspect of the funding and I know overseas and in Canada, we've seen a lot of success in the P3 funding model you've talked about. It hasn't had such a successful track record in the US, at least not as long proven. And I know there's a lot of nervousness in construction industry about that funding model. I'm just kind of curious to think how, hear how you're going to address those concerns. Well, there, there are three piece success stories in the US. There's, you know, part of the problem, in, particularly in the early days, is, is is you talk about there may not be this may not be a good hybrid here, but um, people try and sort of do three P's and do three P's and protect labor, do three P's and protect this, do three P's and protect that. And frankly, we I think we load them up with too many conditions. To it's not the same model you see in Europe or even in Canada. That's part of the problem. Um, three P's have their place, but they're not for everything. I think highway projects are probably more appropriate for three P's. Uh, than transit projects because of the revenue stream issues. So I think there's a number of ways to do it. It's, it's a question of application. I think you'll see in the next year, the MTA probably embark on three or four 3P projects. But I've been attending a lot of the West Side sub subway extension meetings, and they've given us to believe, um, forget about subway to the sea, they've given us to believe that in 10 years, the subway will reach this corner that we're on right now. Uh, a lot of their meetings have been held at LACMA, and that's the consensus that 10 years to right here. Um, they expect that it will be 2036 until it reaches uh, UCLA or the Veterans Administration. Um, tell me, um, is what that you because think of, about of, lo of local opposition? Or no, 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 no. Just simply because of the every the, place how that they slowly everything takes every no, place that they've held meetings. Uh, people have been incredibly supportive, whether they are drivers or whether they're transit takers. The outpouring of support is incredible. But um, that's no, what can, they think that they yeah. have the funds to, uh, to accomplish Be Because so that's, what it, that's the schedule without 3010. Right. That's the, that's the measure of our schedule absent the 3010 acceleration. So that's the 30-year plan. That's the, yeah, in the 30-year plan, plan. In the 10-year plan, uh, we will be in Westwood at the end of the 10 years. That is the plan we're operating under with 3010. That is the plan we're, we're preparing for at this point. But do we, if we were not to try 3010, then that's, the, that's a correct schedule. And because the MTA only formally adopted, 3010 has been an initiative of the mayors in the city of Los Angeles, and it wasn't until last week when the MTA adopted it that they're now incorporating it as part of an MTA plan. So with 3010, the subway will get to Westwood uh, within that 10-year period. I'm Larry Bloomer, and uh, my wife and I rode on the uh, maglev train that Siemens put together in the, from Shanghai, city of Shanghai, to the airport. The maglev, the magnetic maglev and back. levitation. And back. Yeah. So it was a levitation train. It was going 450 clicks, so that's 250 miles an hour or so. Very exciting, but it only goes from the airport to the city because it was too expensive to make it go any further. Right. Right. 
And when we think about trying to build something, let's say, from San Francisco to Los Angeles, they don't have the Sierra Club. They don't have other people that are going <laughs> to stand there and say, no, you can't come through here because there's a tree or a frog that's very rare. It has to be relocated. I mean, that's, you know, it's like dealing with the San Joaquin, uh, the, the river out of Sacramento. Same kind of problems. Another issue is we have, there's 10 new electric cars that are coming on the market within the next two years. A couple of big issues that you're raising is pollution and the cost to the home for tra transportation. We just, there was introduced in the, uh, in the Week magazine just yesterday, I think it was, or this week, that Volkswagen has a new car that's 600 US dollars that goes 278 miles on one gallon of gas. And they're introducing it in China to begin with. It's only one person in the car, but nonetheless, right. it carries 1.7 <laughs> gallons of it, and it goes 480 well, like miles on 1.7 gallons of gas. It's almost 13 feet long. It's, it's like about a the size of my Mini Cooper, yeah. but I mean, nonetheless, it's of a size that you don't feel like you're going to get run over by the, uh, still the Escalade, I'm sure, is going to take it out. But, <laughs> but you got to think about what, what is this going to do to our economy if we start having electric vehicles that are going to go that long or something like this new VW car? So are you wow. saying that, that that transition toward more efficient vehicles will, will undermine or will make rail transportation less gonna, necessary? It's, it's going to undermine it, I think, because yeah. you know, it's going to cost you less, that your household is going to pay less, and there's also going to be less pollution. So some of the two of the big points that you're raising here to, as reasons to get on the rail... Diminish. May not exist and, in the and future. I, and all the rail services I'm seeing on the west side, because I live near Overland and uh, on the 10 freeway, is uh, there isn't any parking. So I'm going to ride my bike down the hill to get on this thing. I mean, uh, okay. how do, where do I, yes. my wife's not going to drop me off. She's working too. So, so in other words, will, rail, will, will this be necessary? Are, in other words, is the evolution in cars making all this it, billions of dollars investment in all this other kind of technology perhaps uh, irrelevant? Or, well, I, think or that's, I think that's the more sensible future to be looking at. I mean, why should we be thinking, you know what? All this great freedom and individual decisions about everywhere we go, when we go, how we go, what speed we go, everything we do, we're going to give all that up. And we're going to go back to what we had pre-depression when there was a set system designed by the powers that be, and either you go where that goes or you don't go, and you build your life around that. Why don't we think about, well, how do we keep that highly autonomous, individualized travel and with technology that solves all these problems instead of saying the only way to solve it is to give all that freedom up mm -hmm. and go back to a centrally planned, centrally directed, centrally managed uh -huh. system. But, but first of all, again, no one is suggesting that everyone be forced to do anything, number one. Number no, two, but we all have to pay for one. <laughs> well, right. well, we're all paying one way or yeah. another. <laughs> Second, let me make two quick points. I'll turn it go back. Ahead, I'll like, go, two quick points. One is that you know, electric vehicles, you know, we have been waiting for the electric vehicle for a long time now for the one that answers these prayers so we can continue to wait for it and hopefully it'll get here or we can do something that provides alternatives as well. And the one thing to keep in mind with electric vehicles, what's your source of electricity when you're talking that's about true. polluting? If you're still talking about we don't have battery Natural technology gas, that's, yeah. gonna, that's doing a great job yet and if you're still getting your electricity from a utility company that has it, gets it from coal fire coal cold-fired power plants, like DWP. like DWP does for about 20% of their power, 40%. then is it 40%? 40% of their power, then that is not a non-polluting vehicle. It's just polluting in someone else's backyard. Yeah. So I think you got to look at the whole picture. That's... I'm sorry, Gloria, I cut you Gloria. off. Gloria, you know, I just feel like if you talk about the costs of the, 
of the automobile-oriented system, I mean, the costs are enormous, and a lot of those costs are externalized. Again, you know, maintaining a huge military presence, environmental costs, the cost of all those kids who have asthma, all those, you know, people who are obese, the kids that are obese. I, I mean, I think spell. it's just we've gotten so used to, you know, these externalized costs, and we don't think about, you know, how they are associated with the automobile. I mean, it, it's it's hard. For example, when you think about how much you spend on on your car, you you know that you get. I mean, it's easy to know how much you spend on your house because you just make a mortgage payment, but you don't really know how much you spend on your car because you know you pay for gas once a week, you pay for your insurance. I don't know, once every three months, you pay, you know, all of the costs are disaggregated. So, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. The American Public Transportation Association says that that in Los Angeles, the average household spends ten thousand one hundred dollars a year to own and operate and insure and park a car. I mean, that's a, well, you know, that's a, that's a very big amount of money. And that is not the externalized cost. That, that's not in count, counting the cost for, on the environment and on public health and et cetera, et cetera. So I just, I just think that we, don't, we aren't really considering how much it does cost hmm. to maintain this, this system for automobiles. But, the other thing that I think is interesting is this whole notion that, you know, that we're free, you know, and that, and that if you live in Italy and in a place where you can walk and, you know, where there are different kinds of, you know, you can live out in your own single family home or you can live in the city, you know, in a, multi, in a more urbane kind of multifamily housing or a villa or something. I mean, I just, I just don't know that, that we... I don't feel very free, actually. I mean, I, there's, <laughs> you know, in America, you can buy a single-family home. You, you have a lot of choices if you're looking for a single-family home. But in Los Angeles, if I'm looking for an environment where I can live in a place where I can walk and where there are fun places to walk and where, where public transportation is, is convenient and where I can bike if I want to, there aren't very many places like that because in this country for so long, all of the incentives have been to build this notion of freedom that I just, you know, it seems to me that if we were really free, we'd have choices. You know, we'd have the choice of the single family home in a great neighborhood, but we'd also have the choice to live in a more urban environment that would be equally high quality. And I don't, I don't think we've had that choice until recently. Uh, my name is uh, Gordon Hoops. Um, I have a question about the transportation system we currently have, and maybe I'd like to make a comment about another type, too. Uh, I live near Pasadena, and I'm constantly harassed by the surface uh, light rail, the gold line that goes through that, uh, that town. And uh, every time I seem to get on a street over there, it's blocked by the, the gates down. And, uh, I, and I see lots of cars, particularly at peak traffic time, uh, being similarly blocked for, for blocks behind the uh, gates. Uh, so it doesn't work very well on the surface. Uh, it's cheap on the surface, but not doesn't work. Uh, on the other hand, the tunnel system uh, works really well. It doesn't block any intersections, but it costs $350 million per mile uh, and growing. I don't know what the current estimates are for uh, the extensions, but it's no longer going to be 350. I'm sure it's going to be north of that by a, a long amount. Have we ever considered a monorail system? 
Monorail. Uh, Monorail. Oh, I, I know that. Disneyland's that's Tomorrowland promised that to us back. No, we were laughing. Oh, we were wait a minute. About wait a minute. Room, yeah. I'd like to talk about that because I've built one. I've also visited them throughout the world. I worked for Disney for for decades. I've built a system for them. It works tremendously. We handle millions of people every year on that system. Like, why don't we hear more about that? It's just because it, it's all it's in our imaginations. It's in our. It's blocked by. So uh, what, the, what's the problem with monorail? The surface rail systems mm-hmm. uh, that will want to sell you their cars. All right. So, uh, answers. Why? No, I think first. I mean. Congratulations. I mean, if, and I would imagine that that was a fascinating project to be involved in at Disneyland. Yeah. The monorail. Oh, at Disneyland. Oh, at, at oh, World. Okay, at oh, World. Okay. The, I know the one in Anaheim is five-eighths scale. It's not even, it's not right. full-scale size. It's five-eighths the size of a monorail from the cars to the suspension to the struts. But one, Disney never discloses what the true cost of that system is. And, you know, and operating in different parts of the world as a commercial system, it's never been successful financially from a monorail. Second, you know, um, the question, some of the same issues we've raised before in terms of where are you going to put a monorail? I know like people like yeah. to put a monorail down the center of the freeway. And, you know, as the earthquake, as the Northridge earthquake showed when the 5 and the 14 collapsed, it was just a good idea that we didn't have, it was a good thing we didn't have a rail system running down the middle of that freeway. You also, if you build it in the right-of-way of a freeway, you need to take a lane out of use in each direction during your construction period. And on the Ventura Freeway, for instance, that'd be a major nightmare. There are, so there are serious construction issues. There are serious economic issues from the stuff I've seen on it. Um, and that's just all wrong. Okay. Well, <laughs> show me something that says it's It still has to be cheaper than tunneling, right? It's cheaper than tunneling, but everything's cheaper than tunneling. Yeah, tunneling right. is the most, right. most, the most and expensive the, you know, the other issue with the, with, the, with the overheads is also, again, it goes back to where you're going to park. You know, if you're going to run an, if you're going to run a system parallel to the Ventura Freeway, for instance, or parallel to the 405, where are your passengers going to get on the monorail? Where are you going to put the parking lots along the 405 or along the Ventura Freeway? I'd like to show you. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> I'd be, I'm all ears. Hello, my name is Teresa Chang. I actually have a similar question, not necessarily about monorail, but what you think the viability is of a bus rapid transit system, both in terms of political will but also practicality, um, when we acknowledge the reality that most folks that take the bus are working class people of color in communities like Koreatown, in Boyle Heights, and um, what, what you think the viability of that is as an affordable alternative? I think it's, I think it's very viable. Uh, the bus rapid transit that we're in the valley, the Orange Line, is a huge success. I would like to frankly see more of them. Crenshaw probably should be bus rapid transit, not light rail. But you get this whole pushback from some elected officials. Uh, Gloria Molina leads this charge on the east side. And she will argue that because they got light rail on the east side as opposed to subway, not even BRT, light rail, that it's discriminatory against folks in East L.A. And it's all of us on the west side who just want to build subways for us. And, you know, that kind of a... I mean, we hear that argument full time at the MTA board by some electeds because... You know, they, they figure what they need is the shiniest, newest thing on the block. You know, I'm interested in what works. I love the BRT in, in the Valley and would love to see more of them. We run some rapid bus lines down Wilshire, down um, Ventura Boulevard, but to do a dedicated BRT like we did in the Valley, I'd love to see in greater use around LA. And it would be helpful if uh, folks like yourself and other people or organizations would speak up for BRT, we'd be able to do more of them. Very good. I'd love to get final thoughts from each of the panels. No, well, go ahead, Gloria. I, I was just going to say about BRT. It, it was just interesting. There's a the 
New York City Transportation Commissioner, her name is Jeanette Sadik Khan, has become a, a big hero lately because she's been reclaiming roads for public space and for public transit. But it was interesting because she was in town recently and she talked about how New York City is now investing mostly in BRT. I mean, yes, they are also building a subway, but she was saying that BRT, in part because it is so much less money and because right. it can operate on city streets, has become... We'd get far more out of building more BRT and less rail, I think, in Los Angeles. Far more. So the winner of this panel is BRT. <laughs> but it should be instructive that Richard and I and Gloria all agree BRT is really great, and yet we can't do it in L.A. because of the system we have for making these decisions. Great system we have. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sorry. A bus but, rapid transit. It's a dedicated bus thing. So. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you for asking. Thank you all very much for being here. I really appreciate it. Wonderful questions. And keep riding transit. And if if you're a car owner, try to move over to hybrid or electric. We've got a lot of choices coming down the pike. Thank you, panelists. I really appreciate your thoughts. Wonderful energy here.